Welcome to the Medical Management Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up your practice. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Hello, and welcome to the Medical Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Arnoldson from MedMen. We are excited to welcome back today's guest for all the way from Australia, Peter Vrains. Hi, Peter. Hey, Jesse. How you doing? Good, good. It's so good to have you back. Last time you were on, we talked a whole lot about nootromics. We talked a lot about continuous molecular monitoring and where the technology is and in, in getting wearable devices going so that we can continuously monitor for, for all sorts of of diseases and levels and, and tests that we normally only get like once every 12 hours. That was incredibly interesting to me. I wonder, Peter, if maybe you can talk to us a little bit about other revolutionary technologies that you're seeing out there while you're in your space. Have you been introduced to other technologies that are just blowing your mind and getting you kind of excited for the future? Yes, there are lots. Where do I begin? Well, I think the data space is really interesting. This concept of big data sets, Mm -hmm. fast data sets. I think that's another concept of timing is important of these data sets as well. So are you looking in the review mirror or are you looking in real time? And I think that matters when we're talking about big data. Some of the AI applications, you know, in healthcare, it is a it's a sprint towards these insights on big data using AI. Very relevant for us, you know, we're basically on the way to one of the world's, if not the world's biggest biological databases, that, that's where we're heading. And so we, we're looking at the architecture of, you know, essentially our data lake and how we do it, you know, ethically with privacy, with the, the patient at the center of all this and really kind of leading the way in that, you know, how do you do that? And I think that's something that we're, we're working through at the moment, but I think the exciting thing is it's kind of like a convergence of a number of things, just an opportune time. I think when we yeah. look back in history, we're going to look at this time as really transformative because in what we do, it's very multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got engineering, we've got science, we've got data, you know, big data sets. We've got all these systems are at a point in maturity where there's an interplay between them that actually opens up these opportunities that were never there before. You know, five, 10 years ago, a lot of the things we can do now, maybe in research, you could do a bit of it, but for commercial applications, it wasn't a reality. So we are at this opportune time. And the thing with these big biological data sets, you know, it's always the question, so what? What are you going to do with it? You know, like the why is the important bit, right? Why do you want that? And I think what we... What, where we see the opportunity and probably the most valuable thing that we're going to have as a company is this data lake that we can interrogate and we can learn, we can discover early biomarkers of disease states. That's mm. a bit of a holy grail, right? I'll give you an example. Sepsis, for example. Sepsis is one of the world's biggest killers, really hard to diagnose. So when someone, someone's septic, it's not obvious. There's actually a whole protocol on how to diagnose it and it takes time. Yeah. It, it just really challenging. And so what happens is that clinicians will 
hit patients with lots of different, you know, is it a gram positive or gram negative bacteria, for example? So they get a cocktail of antibiotics. And then that leads to antibiotic resistance because we use so much, so many of these antibiotics so often that that's one of the drivers of antibiotic resistance. That's a right. huge global problem, right? Because yeah. we, we don't know. And so we want to try, we're trying to save someone's life here. So you just you hit them with, with a shotgun of different antibiotics. So the ability to be able to diagnose from a molecular point of view, a patient at the earliest possible stage is critical to their survival. At the latest stages, for every one hour that the treatment is delayed, the risk of death of sepsis goes up 7%. So you can imagine that every hour is critical here, right? Yeah. So there's some molecular targets like procalcitonin and things like that, but there's certainly not a consensus in the medical community that these are the molecular targets that matter and this is how we're going to do it. It's chicken and egg. Because we can't measure these things continuously and get enough data, we can't do the research that definitively says these are the early biomarkers. But with big data sets where we have lots of septic patients in there and we've got the before and the after and we can use AI to interrogate that, we can start to learn what are those early biomarkers for the first time because we mm-hmm. all have the data. We haven't had it before. So they're the exciting thing. That ability to interrogate that with AI, that's you know still relatively recent technology. And that's yeah. just an example of convergence of multiple things happening at the same time that yeah. allows, opens the door to these insights that are huge. You know, the ability to, to get early biomarkers of sepsis that's breakthrough stuff, right? And sepsis is one example. That Imagine, you know, cancers and, and cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, and you can go on and on and on. The early identification of those is absolutely critical to the to saving lives of these patients. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that technology can really help us, you know, solve some of these big problems. I love that you say convergence because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, big data sets, which I mean, we're, we're getting into, but that's one continuous molecular monitoring is what feeds those data sets. Right. And then the AI to interrogate that data. I mean, there's at least three big innovations there that are all coming together to give us, you know, give us in the end, the ability to predict, right. And see these diseases coming. It's just yeah. yeah, I haven't ever thought about them all coming together. Usually you just think about these things in silos, but they, they all play off of one another for sure. Yeah, it, we, it's the maturity of enabling technologies. That, that's yeah. how we describe it. And we're fortunate that it is happening. And this is some, sometimes you need luck. Let's yeah. face it, right? It's yeah. You know, uh, whenever I you know, hear someone, oh yeah, well, I, I knew that, and I, I could, yeah, I could predict sure. the future. And I knew all these sure things. You did. Uh, so I was like, yeah, of course. It's funny how everyone always says that in hindsight, right? Yeah. But you do need there is a hundred percent an element of luck. You know, yeah. I'll give you a classic example: COVID. One of the things that came out of COVID is in the health sector is a, a acceleration of telehealth. It was a yeah. trend that was already happening, but it accelerated 10 years and remote patient monitoring. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what we do is remote patient monitoring. I didn't predict COVID. You know? No. So, you know, is that luck in terms of, you know, COVID was a disaster, but there are some positives like that that came yeah. out of it, right? So healthcare yeah. was, there were some good things. And that's just pure luck that we were where we were at the time we were at and it accelerated with that. So yeah, so that's just an example that, yeah, there is, you need a bit of luck. Yeah. But I think we've got, we've got a fair share of luck with the emergence of a lot of these enabling technologies coming at the at a, at a same time. What is it? Malcolm Gladwell. Have you ever 
read his yeah, stuff. Is famous it, is author, right? Yeah. yeah. Outliers. And in Outliers, he describes the ability to have, you know, to be come one of these incredible outliers, either as a company or an individual or technology. It takes it takes half luck and it takes the other side of being in the, you know, being the kind of person that's going to either work his tail off or have done all the hard work and then got lucky. Um, yeah. I think he put Bill Gates in that category of somebody who was willing to spend hours and hours and hours and hours coding and learning all of this stuff computer wise, but was also lucky that he was living in an area that gave him access to these early computer systems to learn. And yeah. so, yeah, I love, yeah. I love what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> well, actually, and that's a good point, right? Like, you know, I was born in Melbourne, Australia. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't born, in, if I was born in, you know, maybe a third world country here, that, that's just luck. I yeah. like, yeah. I couldn't, I, literally, I was able to go to university, learn chemical engineering. Mm-hmm. I was just lucky to be born in, yeah, you know, US citizens, the uh, same thing, right? Like, right, right. We, we're born in, in countries that give us a leg up, right? Not everyone has yeah. that. So no. even if you look at it in that light, there's a lot of luck involved. Yeah. And, and you're right, it's not all luck. It's you've got to work it, your What do you do with that luck, right? What do you yeah. do with it? There are plenty of people born into the same areas that, you know, they are lucky, but- maybe yeah. don't act on it as much. So yeah, there's there's two sides to the coin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the the point is there's a, there is an element. It's it's not all just I just worked my ass off and and, no. and that's what did it. That yeah. absolutely that gets you to the starting point. Yeah, you got to yeah. do that. There's a whole range of things when you look at your life that helps every you know us all uh, get yeah. to where we're at. Well, I want to I have two questions that I really want to get to. One of them is how do you remote patient monitoring exists inside the United States. However, to the with the the kind of technology that you've spoken about and to the extent where it is making the right kind of impact on the US, we're not there here in the in the states. I don't know if, how it is in Australia, but what do you see as you're bringing this to market and you're looking at the United States, how does continuous molecular monitoring, remote patient monitoring, how does it become commonplace? How do because, for example, telehealth, like you, you mentioned, telehealth had been around for a long time. And up until January, February 2020, it was limping along and, and just could not get there. A yeah. few people figured it out, but very few. And then all of a sudden, we get to March and April, and everybody has figured out telehealth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. To necessity. <laughs> yeah. Short yeah. of another pandemic, how do you make these things commonplace? Yeah. So think of the stakeholders, right? Because is there alignment of stakeholders, right? right? Absolutely. The patients much prefer having treatment in their home, yes. right? So I'll give you a, a, of a personal example. So my brother's going through uh, cancer treatment at the moment. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, he has to go into hospital every day. It's He's you know having a tough time. It's, it's just not pleasant, right? right? And we've spoken and there is some small hospital in what we call hospital in the home for cancer patients where they get dosed at home. He would love that. That patients want, don't want to come into hospital. No. They want to be close to their loved ones at home where they're comfortable. Yeah. They, they want that. Stakeholder number one, most important. Hospitals love it because taking up a bed, a beds are expensive. You know, yeah. like, like having people take up beds, and I, I know it's a, that's why hospitals are there, but not everyone else who takes up a hospital bed needs to be in hospital and it's expensive. So they save money when 
remote patient monitoring, the, the, one of the huge drivers is the economic savings when you can treat people outside the hospital system. Capacity, they don't have limited capacity. Your capacity goes away, issues go away when you can do remote patient monitoring. It's decentralized. Yeah. It's a new model, right? You go through all the stuff. I won't go through it. All the stakeholders want it. Why hasn't it been more ubiquitous than what it is? Right. Because we don't have enabling technologies that allow this to happen easily. Mm-hmm. So it is happening and it's happening at a, at a decent rate, but it needs to get the shot in the arm that it's desperately seeking. It needs enabling technologies. That's one of the reasons we yeah. exist is because that example I gave you earlier of the kidney transplant patient that doesn't have to come into a hospital who can be monitored at home. That's a classic example. They may not, there's lots of people in hospitals today that actually could be safely and efficaciously treated at home, mm-hmm. right? But there's certain elements to do that that are missing. And so that prevents it from occurring. And so they're, they're the enabling technologies, but we're getting there. It's happening, but it's just, it's just going to take a little bit of time, but it's yeah. undoubtedly decentralized healthcare is the future. And we're going there and the velocity is increasing. And there's lots of young companies that are filling that void right now. Like Bioformance is one example that mm-hmm. I know of, but there's lots of companies that are really, and that putting those enabling technology and systems in place to help hospitals facilitate that. That's I think spot on. I, man, I want to see this come, come to fruition. A lot of what we have to focus on, Peter, in our work, both inside the clinic and then some of our work from through MedMen on, on clinical integration and trying to lowering the, lower the cost of care. This has popped up a couple of times, remote patient monitoring. And we've tried it a couple of different ways. And you're right, the technology has not been in a place to support the ambitions that we have for it. I can't wait to see where Neutromics and you, Peter, and your team get to, because I think that it's going to change so much of how we, how we treat patients and how we save their lives. I, I can't wait to see what you guys do. Yeah. I think this is something that's going to touch everyone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, everyone, everyone listening to this podcast at some point in their life needs this type of technology, right? Yeah. Whether it's us or someone else, it's not, a, this is not about us. This is about we need this. We need this to live healthier lives. We need this to diagnose. You know, there's lots of people walking around oblivious to some disease that they've got that yeah. if treated now would save their life, but they just don't know about it. Right. I mean, a classic example, the numbers are staggering, but you know, in the US, one in two adults are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. One in two, right? One in so two. One in two. Oh, yeah. God. Yep. So there are there is 38% of the population that are pre-diabetic, 90% of which do not know they're pre-diabetic. The number one risk factor for diabetes is a diagnosis of pre-diabetes. So that is you're on the path, right? Yeah. So there are so just to put that in that number right into perspective here. So there are there is 38% of the US adult population walking around on a path, they're on a road to diabetes and 90% of them don't know it, right? That's just one example. There is lots of examples like that. And that can't be something we are okay with as no. a society. We can't say, yeah, that's just the status quo. Right. That's just the way it is, right? They just need to eat better and exercise, right, Peter? Yeah, <laughs> just, just to, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and everyone's going to go, oh, if only someone told me that earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can't I didn't know it. that. Like, why, didn't, why did anyone tell me that? That's, that's <laughs> That's that's brilliant. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so we just, I, I don't, 
I mean, if you look at a macro level, the two dinosaurs in terms of industries that is lagging is healthcare and education. Right? Mm-hmm. They are massive dinosaurs. There is a reason why the likes of Amazon and the, these big players are coming into this market, right? Yeah. They're coming into it because they have massive pressure to maintain these huge growth trajectories, right? Their, their shareholders are not going to accept incremental growth, right? right? They have to have massive growth. Where are they going to get that from? They're going to go to the sectors that are the dinosaurs where there's huge opportunity. Yeah. And the obvious one is healthcare, right? Now, I'm not saying healthcare is easy because it's a dinosaur now for a reason, right? right? But that's where the opportunity lies. Because of all these things we're talking about, this is why there's opportunity. So in my view, in the next 10 years or so, we're going to see massive transformation. And so we should in this industry because it needs it, because it's coming off such a low base. Yeah. And I love the fact that the likes of Amazon and other companies are coming into this space because maybe they're going to fix these Shake problems. Yeah. yeah, they need it, right? This is needed, needed for all of us, not needed for just a certain segment of the population. Every needed for everyone. Everyone is going to need this, right? Every single one of us. So that's a great thing. And it's exciting, right? Because we're yeah. going to see lots of innovation going forward and things that are going to help all of us. I... This is refreshing for me, Peter, because there are times where, you know, if you get too much into maybe the politics or, or any where, where we're going with COVID, any of that kind of stuff, maybe, maybe you don't feel so bright about the future. <laughs> and I, I'm leaving this, this conversation just encouraged that, that we do have a really bright future ahead of us for a lot of reasons. And it's just so exciting. Thank you for, for sharing all that. Thanks, Jesse. It's, it's been fun. Yeah. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We hope that what is shared on our show helps you in some way with your practices and in your own developmental journey. Tune in next week for our next interview and visit us at medman.com for anything else. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Medical Management Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else Medman does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at medman.com. 